Father, we've just sang about your presence, and we're thankful that where two or three are gathered, you are with us. And Lord, we're thankful for the word that you've given us, and we know it's active and alive. And Lord, we pray that as we open it this morning, that it would be actively involved in our lives, molding and shaping and changing us into the men and women that you desire us to be. And Lord, it's our desire this morning to to be men and women that bring you honor and glory. And Lord, I pray that... uh, that our time together this morning might encourage us all to have that goal in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's hard to believe the summer is almost over. It's kind of flown by. And as you think about the summer, um, does July 17th, 2015 stand out at all for you? Think about that day. Is that day significant for you? It was a Friday, if that helps. Um, Does it stand out? Uh, When I think about that, we went on vacation on that day, so that was pretty exciting. Uh, But probably for most of us, maybe it's just another Friday in the summer, just another day. However, if you were owners of stock in the company of Google, July 17th, 2015 would be a very, very memorable day. And the reason it'd be memorable is because it was the single greatest gain in a day Wall Street has ever seen in one stock. On that day, Google stock closed at $699.62. That single day, that stock went up 16.3% on a single day. The greatest gain Wall Street has ever seen. As a matter of fact, if you were a stockholder of of Google on that day, All of Google's investors, their portfolio increased $66.9 billion in that day. It generated $66.9 billion more on that day from that 16.3 increase. Now, if you were an owner of Google stock, you would remember July 17th, 2015 for that great gain. You might not remember it after this Friday, uh, but you would remember it that Friday. Um, and while that type of monetary gain is what a lot of people spend their lives focusing on and, and, and trying to, to achieve, this morning I want to talk about an even greater gain, something that's even greater than that. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be uh, in Romans chapter 8 these next two weeks and kind of finish off our month. Um, but this morning I want to talk about gain. What does it mean to gain? Well, very simply, the word gain means to acquire an increase or to to obtain a profit or possession. And one of the ways that we can attain a profit or gain a possession is through inheritance. Now, after my opening story about Google stock, I think all of us were probably wishing that we had some long-lost Aunt Betty that gave us an inheritance of Google stock before July 17th, but probably don't have something like that. But uh, um, inheritance is the passing on of wealth or possessions from one family member to another. And people over the years have, have passed on some very valuable and also some very strange things through inheritance. As a matter of fact, the Fox Business Channel, uh, that I don't watch very often, but I just noticed it when I was preparing for this, uh, for this uh, uh, sermon, that they have a show called Strange Inheritance on at night. I don't know if you've ever seen it. 
but it, it chronicles people who inherit very strange things from their families, from 300 old rusted cars sitting in a field to 5,000 antique, very creepy-looking dolls. Uh, to, um, to, to some other things like uh, a hundred-year-old movie theater in Berwick that, that a family was passed down, to even, I don't know if you've ever gone to Ocean City, Maryland, and on the boardwalk, Trimper's Amusement Park, that's been passed down in the family from generation to generation. And on this show, when they get this inheritance, the, the, re- the remaining family members have to decide something. They have to make this choice. Will it be greater gain for me to keep the inheritance and maybe it'll become more valuable or do I sell it now and just get the profit from it? Well, here in Romans 8, verse 17, Paul talks about our gain as children of God. He says there is profit from being part of God's family. There's privileges from being part of God's family. Look at it, verse 17, the first half. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Dick talked about believers being adopted into God's family, that we are his sons. And so as part of God's family, as, as, as part of his family, we have privileges. There's some profit from being part of his family. And there's mainly three things that, uh, that I want to look at this morning that are profit of being part of God's family and, and from Romans chapter 8. And the first one is there's intimacy. There's intimacy. Uh, in Romans 8.15, like Pastor Dick talked about a few weeks ago, we are adopted as sons of God, and now we can have an intimate relationship with God. We can have this intimate relationship with him. He is our Abba Father. We can call the all-powerful creator of the universe Abba. In Aramaic, it means daddy. It's a term of, of, of endearment. It's a term of intimacy. It's, it's a term of tenderness and dependence. And so because we're part of God's family, because as believers through faith in Jesus Christ, we're adopted into his family, we can now call the God, the creator of the universe, our dad. We can go to him. We have access to him. We have an intimate relationship with him. And so there's the, the one prophet we have is intimacy. The, another prophet is that we have uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit as believers. He lives inside of us. And in Romans 8, 9, and 15 to 17, we see Paul talks about, um, uh, clearly tells us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ lives inside all believers. Lives inside all believers. Confirming that we belong to God. He's our deposit, our guarantee. Jesus talked about the, whole, the, the Holy Spirit indwelling believers in John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. So as children of God, as, as, as part of his family, one of the privileges, one of the prophets of being part of God's family is we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to live inside us, to guide and direct us, to help us understand Scripture. And the final privilege or profit of being part of God's family that I want to spend some time looking at in our verse this morning is we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. In Romans 8, 17, we see as adopted sons of God, we also have this inheritance. Now, in the Jewish tradition, the eldest son normally received a double portion of his father's inheritance. 
And so if you were the oldest child, good for you. You scored. All the other brothers and sisters probably didn't like you a whole lot because you got the most and they didn't get anything. But in the Roman society, inheritance was a little bit different. In Roman society, the father had the option to give more to one child than all the others, but normally all children, including those adopted, received equal shares. So they all received equal shares. The children didn't receive his inheritance until a later time, and under Roman law, inherited possessions were more protected than those that were even purchased on their own. And so, so everyone kind of received the same inheritance, and it was even protected. It was more protected than the things that you bought on your own. And with the Roman way of inheritance in mind, Paul says all of God's children will receive their inheritance, a privilege because of our place in God's family. And so as God's children, we have this inheritance. So, so what is our inheritance? What, what do we look forward to inheriting someday? Well, in this passage of Scripture, I think it tells us because of our position of God's sons, we have an inheritance, and it focuses on two main things. The first thing it tells us is we inherit eternal glorification. Eternal glorification. John Piper, commenting on Romans eight seventeen, says that believers will not just see the glory of God and the glory of Christ, but we will be made glorious. Paul talks of the process of being made glorious later in Romans eight twenty nine, when he says we will be conformed to the image of his Son. We will be conformed to the image of his son. There's a physical conformity. Our bodies will be raised from the dead and will be given perfect resurrected bodies. So there's this physical conformity, but there's also a spiritual and moral conformity. We will sin no more. We will sin no more. That is eternal glorification. We, we will be made perfect in our bodies and we will sin no more. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, when I read that, when I see that, I'm like, I'm ready now, right? Uh, I'm, I'm 40 years old. My body's getting older, and pain's getting a little bit more. And the longer I live with this myself, the longer I know that I am a sinner in desperately need of a Savior and struggle the battle each and every day. And so when I read that, I say, you know what? Come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. I, I am ready to receive that inheritance. But Evidently, he's not. We still have a job to do here on earth. So that's the first part of our inheritance, this eternal glorification. We will be made like Christ. We will be glorified. We'll have a perfect body. We will sin no more. That's pretty amazing. And then he goes on and says the second thing in our inheritance is we'll be fellow heirs with Christ. If the first part wasn't good enough, check out the second part. Fellow heirs with Christ. We will reign and rule with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, we were created by, by God to, to represent him and rule over his creation for his honor and glory in Genesis 1, right? He created man to kind of, to kind of rule the earth and, and to, to, uh, to be in charge of the earth. But then something happened in Genesis 3, right? We rebelled. Uh, we chose to sin. We chose to go against God. Adam rebelled against God and sinned in Genesis 3. And so humanity forfeited our ability to reign and rule. When that happened, because of that, God sent Jesus to earth on a rescue mission to pay the price for all of our sin on the cross. And through faith in Jesus, humanity can be redeemed from the wrong of our sinful rebellion and we can be made right 
we can be made right. And ultimately, after Satan is defeated at the end of the millennium and cast in the lake of fire, and unbelievers are judged at the great white throne judgment of Christ and thrown in the lake of fire for eternity, creation will be restored to the new heavens and the new earth where we will reign and rule with Christ. Now, I don't claim to understand what that all is going to look like, but just think about that fact. We were going to reign and rule with Christ. And when I think about that, I think, man, I am so unworthy. And God is so loving. Because in spite of my sin, in spite of my rebellion, he sent Jesus to rescue me. And not only did he rescue from, uh, from the penalty of my sin, but, but now I have this, these privileges of being part of his family. What an amazing, amazing inheritance that God has given us. It's incredible. So believers are one with Christ. We're fellow heirs to all the benefits and blessing of eternal glorification in God's kingdom. And the privileges of being part of God's family include eternal perfection and being present with God. What an amazing, amazing inheritance. And I don't know about you, but it's something that I feel like I don't deserve. But God is a gracious God. And not only does he adopt us into his family, there's privileges for being part of his family. There's profit for being part of his family, and that is what Paul is talking about here. There's profit of being part of God's family, and and part of that is we have this amazing inheritance. But Paul doesn't stop there and just say, you know, know, there's, there's, there's this great gain, there's this great profit to be part of God's family. But he said there's also some proof that needs to be seen. Look at the, uh, uh, there's proof, and, and persecution is the proof of people being part of God's family. The end of verse 17, you know, we like the beginning of verse 17. The end of verse 17 is not probably maybe our favorite part of this, of this passage. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. We like that. We're, we're in them for that. But then Paul goes on and says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, the prophet, the privilege of being part of God's family, there, there also needs to be some proof. And the proof that we're genuine believers, the proof that we're part of God's family is that we, we're going to suffer. We're going to face some hardship. And you might say, well, that's, that's not a great deal. Well, be encouraged. First of all, the Old Testament saints suffered. The prophets were persecuted. Jesus in Matthew 5.10 said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you see, there's this proof. Persecution proves that we're part of God's family. And we see the Old Testament saints suffered. But not only did the Old Testament saints suffer, our, our Savior even suffered. Jesus in, in John 15, 18 says this, and it's a very familiar p- passage of Scripture. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. 
Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Our Savior suffered, and because we are one with Christ, we must follow Christ's journey to glory and the path, and that's the path of pain and suffering. And so if the Old Testament saints suffered, if our Savior suffered, guess what? Ourselves will suffer too. Ourselves will suffer too. Paul was very clear in, in 2 Timothy 3.12 when he says true followers are going to face trouble. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul doesn't pull any punches here. He's pretty clear. He doesn't say, if you are a follower of Christ, you might face difficulty, you might face suffering, you might face persecution. He says, you will face persecution and suffering. So we think to ourselves, wait a minute. Is this what I signed up for? Is this, is, this, is, this what, uh, this, is this what I want to face in my life? And the good news is that, uh, you know, there is, a there is a purpose for suffering. Suffering produces, it strengthens our faith. It reminds us daily we need to depend on God for the strength to faithfully serve him. And so there, there's, a, there's a purpose for our suffering. And, and it's important to realize that as believers, suffering should be expected. But the good news is it's not eternal. Should be expected, but it's not eternal. And so we should realize that we're going to face it, but we won't always face it. And it's also important for us to realize that pain is the path to perfection. Pain is the path to perfection. We saw it in the life of Jesus. We saw it in the life of the Old Testament saints. And guess what? As part of God's family, adopted into his family, if it was good enough for the Old Testament saints, if it was good enough for our Savior, it's going to be good enough for us. Pain is the path to perfection. And so it's, it's the journey that we're going to face. Suffering shows sonship. It is the proof that we are genuine followers of Christ. Suffering shows sonship. And as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the profit of, of being part of God's family, that great inheritance, eternal glorification, we're going to be heirs with Christ. There is no profit without proof. There, there is no uh, inheritance without faithfully facing suffering on a daily basis. And you see, we live in a world where we just want everything to come very easily. And, and, and Paul says, you know what? You have a great inheritance waiting for you in eternity. But right now, you're going to face some difficulty. You're going to face some difficulty. And as we think about that, we think, wow, that's... That's, that's hard for us to, to understand. That, that gain, is it worth it? And so let's move on and let's talk about greater. We just talked about the gain, our inheritance, the profit that we get. Now let's, let, let's talk about the word greater a little bit because I think that helps us to understand, uh, you know, in light of, of is the gain worth it? And, and greater means something, an object or an opportunity is more valuable or beneficial. And so I don't know, did you ever try to trick your little brother or sister or cousin or niece or nephew with some money? Like you would go to them and, and they're little and you're, you know better and you would say like, here's two pennies and I'll trade you two pennies for two dimes because two pennies are bigger than two dimes. 
Or, or maybe you, you upped your, your swindling game a little bit more and you went with two $1 bills and you said to them, here's two $1 bills, I'll trade you two $1 bills for your $5 bill because two, dollar, two, two bills are better than one bill. I don't know, maybe, maybe you were all really nice relatives and you never tried to do that, but, uh, uh, but maybe you did. And, and the whole part of this, this, this scam depended on your ability to convince, convince that innocent and impressionable uh, young relative which had greater value or profit, right? Which was a greater gain for them. And, uh, and so here Paul goes on and he says, He reminds us what is greater. In verse 18, Paul reinforces and reminds all Christians that our profit is greater than the proof of our commitment to Christ. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And here Paul says very clearly, future glory is greater than present pain. Future glory is greater than present pain. He says, I've considered, I've investigated all the evidence, I've done all the mathematical conclusions, and I've come to the conclusion that suffering can't compare to glory. Suffering can't compare to glory. And suffering is any type of distress due to adversity. And we live in an imperfect world marred by sin, don't we? We see suffering all around us. We're going to face hardship and difficulty, especially as believers in Jesus Christ who choose to follow him and so against the things of this world. And so we're going to face adversity. We're going to face hardship. And as I was looking at this passage of Scripture, I, I came to realize that suffering and glory are connected since suffering is the way to glory, but they're not comparable They're connected, but they're not comparable. Suffering is the path to glory, but glory is so much greater. You can't compare it to the suffering that we might face now. They're connected, but they're not comparable. And Paul had the proper perspective of pain and perfection. Because of his faith in Jesus Christ, Paul experienced a lot of hardship, unbelievable pain, persecution, and problems. And yet, in spite of all of that, he knew his future perfection, his future glorification was so much greater than the temporary trouble. And that's why he could say these words in 2 Corinthians four seventeen and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen, uh, what is seen is temporary, but what is what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, "You know what? The, all the pain, all the difficulty that I faced for my faith in Jesus Christ—it's nothing in compared to eternal glory that I'm going to spend with my Savior. It's worth it all. I'd do it all over again." John MacArthur says, "Those who don't know Christ have no hope when they suffer." Those who live only for this life cannot look forward to any resolution of wrongs or or to any comfort for their souls. Their pain, their loneliness, and affliction serve no divine purpose, and they bring no divine reward. Christians, on the other hand, have great hope, not only that those afflictions actually will end, but that those afflictions will add to to their eternal glory. As followers of Christ, our suffering comes from men, whereas our glory comes from God. Our suffering is earthly, whereas our glory is heavenly. Our suffering is short, where our glory is forever. Our suffering is in mortal and corruptible bodies, where our glory will be in perfect and imperishable bodies. 
we put our momentary earthly troubles on a scale with eternal glory, eternal glory will tip the scale all the time. It's not even close. It's not even close. And so here in verse 18, Paul says, you know what? There's profit, in verse 17, 18, there's profit for being uh, part of God's family. You, you will be eternally glorified. You'll reign with Christ forever. But you know what? There's some proof in, in this world you're going to face some difficulty. But he gets to verse 18. He says, but guess what? Glory is so much greater than the present pain you're going to face. It's so much greater. Future glory is greater than our present pain. And so we looked at the gain, our, our inheritance. We, we, we said that it's greater than this, this earthly suffering that we face. And now we're going to look at groaning. The last part of these verses, Paul's talking about groaning. And a groan is an audible expression of anguish, pain, and suffering due to physical, emotional, or spiritual pain. And, and if you have school-age students in your house about this time of year, you know the groaning begins, right? Because summer is over and school has started. And maybe if you live with a teacher, the groaning has begun too because their summer is over and uh, uh, school has started and so uh, the summer with its freedoms and fun are over, and it's back to the routine and responsibility of school. And so you hear this groaning, this anguish, this, uh, this complaining, this uh, verbal just kind of like, I can't believe the summer's over. I can't believe you need to get back to this. It's, it's groaning. And here Paul says, he's talking about groaning here in Romans 8. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Paul says this groaning, this anguish, this, this audible anguish is, is a response to present pain in, in anticipation for future fulfillment. It's current suffering awaiting future ble- blessing. That's why the groaning's happening. Uh, it's like in childbirth. There's a lot of groaning during pregnancy and labor. But those who have given birth, all those ladies who have given birth, they say all the pain and suffering is worth it when you deliver that child and you hold that kid and all the, all the pain kind of leaves your mind and the joy comes rushing in that this is the child that God provided for you. In Romans 8, Paul identifies who is groaning and he starts and says creation is groaning. Look at verse 19. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that, those, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Paul says creation is groaning eagerly expecting the children of God to be revealed. What, what does that mean? It means when believers will be per- perfected in his, in, and in his presence, our future glorification. John MacArthur talking about this future glorification says, when believers die, there's a separation of body and the soul. Our bodies go to the grave and our spirits go to the Lord. The separation continues until the resurrection. Right now, the souls of believers who have died are in heaven. And some days their bodies will be resurrected and joined to their spirits and they will enjoy the eternal perfection of body and soul. The resurrection of the believers at the rapture and the end of the tribulation will reveal the true children of God. But until then, it says creation, 
The universe, the creator universe is anxiously longing. It's, it's standing up on its tiptoes. It's stretching its neck just to get a glimpse for the children of God to be revealed. It's anxiously awaiting for the uncovering or unveiling of the true children of God. But until then, our current created universe is subject to frustration and futility. It carries the idea of unable to achieve its goal or purpose, and ultimately its purpose is to glorify God. Because man's rebellion rebellion and sin, no part of nature exists as it was or as God created it to be. We know that. Because of our sin in Genesis 3, the curse came upon all of creation. All of creation because of our sin. Creation was cursed. And because our world was cursed by God, there is hope. There is hope, even because of this curse, uh, that the earth and the universe will be liberated from sin and restored to God and uh, to, restored to the intended purpose that God had for it. And that was when the new earth and the new heavens, when, when, we, when we are made glorious and we are glorified, the creation will be glorified as well. And so as I was thinking about this and I was looking at this, mankind's ultimate restoration and glorification is linked to all of creation's restoration and glorification. That's why creation waits. They're standing on tiptoes. They're anticipating for us to be glorified because it knows that creation is next. Creation is next. And so we're linked together. It's waiting for for us. And so creation is groaning for the time when there's a new heavens and a new earth. And it's made like God designed it to, to, to be made back in Genesis 1. And so creation is groaning, but also the children of God are groaning. In Romans 8, 23, it goes on and says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the f- first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For, this, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So here Paul says that not only is creation groaning, but believers inwardly are groaning. Even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit, like Pastor Dick said a few weeks ago, at salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells the lives of believers. It's the down payment of the eternal glory that awaits us. It's the first installment. It was the foretaste and promise that more harvest was to come. And similarly, God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling believers is a foretaste of the many blessings that we will enjoy, including living in God's presence forever when we are glorified. Though today our bodies might be faced with physical pain and failing health, we know that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we're part of God's family, that we belong to him, that he will redeem our bodies like he has already redeemed our souls. And God's children one day will be clothed with immortal, incorruptible bodies. And depending on how many times you have to go to the doctors during the year, you, some of us might be ready for that more than others because we're tired of going to the doctors. We're tired of week after week after week seeing a doctor and, and them telling us how our bodies are breaking down and, and, and getting worse. And, and God says, you know what? Paul says, we groan for glory because we will be made perfect. We'll be made perfect. Believers groan because we long for glory. Because in our current bodies, we will never escape sin's corruption. We'll never escape sin's corruption. That's why also we groan. Even though we're free from the penalty and power of sin, we still have the presence of indwelling sin within our flesh. 
Even though our souls are fully redeemed and fit for heaven, our fleshly bodies are corrupted with sin and await redemption. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We're ready. We groan because we want that perfected body that not only is perfect physically, but it escapes the corruption of sin. We don't have to struggle with sin anymore. That's why as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're to groan. We eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And at the moment of our salvation, we are adopted into the family of God. But this adoption is made complete when our body is redeemed and we are made like the Son. In essence, the final element of our adoption is the redemption of our bodies when we receive our perfect resurrected bodies. And our hope as believers is based on the integrity of God's promises. We know that God will not disappoint us. He will not let us down. He doesn't lie to us. We are saved, and we cannot lose our salvation. But in hopeful anticipation, we patiently wait and persevere through present pain for the completion of our salvation, our glorification, when we're made perfect, when we're present with Christ, when we receive our resurrected bodies, and we're with him for eternity. We, We groan for that. And as we eagerly await for that to happen, we should not be so eager that we lose our patience, and we should not be so patient that we lose our expectation. As hard as it is to keep the balance, a believer should be enthusiastically eager for glory and enduringly patient and expectant for it. We need to somehow balance that. But as believers, we groan. We, uh, we groan because we're anticipating glory. We want that perfect body. We want to be free from sin. We want to spend eternity with Christ. And so believers groan. And finally, in this, this passage, we see the Holy Spirit groans. In verses 26 and 27, the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And and here we see not only, does the, does, uh, not only is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the assurance of believers' salvation, we also see he's actively involved in our prayer life. When we don't know how to pray or we don't know what to pray for or we're, we're just so confused and so down and maybe so, faces so much difficulty, it says the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. It groans for us. John Murray said the children of God have two divine intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven while the Holy Spirit is their intercessor in the theater of their own hearts. And so we see the Holy Spirit groans for us. It, 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 as we face difficulty in this life, it helps us to pray and, and, and communicate to God, and, and so the Holy Spirit groans. And so as we think about this word groaning, it's important for us to realize that genuine believers groan for glory. Genuine believers groan for glory. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we expectantly living for eternity? Are we expectantly living for eternity? Do we groan for glory? Are we satisfied with life here? Are we so focused on life here and now that we've lost the view of our inheritance and the great inheritance that we have? We view, we've, we've lost the desire to, uh, for eternity. We've lost the, the, maybe the passion that not only, not only can we have an inheritance, 
because we're children of God, but there's a lot of other people that maybe aren't part of God's family that could experience that inheritance if we're about God's work. Are we focused on glory or are we focused on just kind of going through the motions? In closing, I was talking to one of our students who plays football for E-Town a number of days ago, a few weeks ago. I was talking about the season. I was saying, hey, are you excited for the season? Are you, lo- are you looking forward to the season? And, and, and pretty much the, he said, you know, well, he said, I'm looking forward to the games, you know, Friday night lights and everything like that, but I'm not really looking for pra- forward to practice. You know, the mid-August two-a-days and the heat, I'm not really looking for that, but, I, but I, I'm really looking forward to the games. I like playing in the games, but practice is, practice is not what, I, what I'm looking for. And I guarantee at some point during those hot mid-August two-a-days, the coaches would have gathered the, the players around and, and trying to motivate them and trying to encourage them to, uh, to continue practicing hard. And I guarantee they, they'll, 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 they'll say this, that you know, any coach you've ever probably played for said, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. And trying to encourage them, hey, you need to put the work in now on the practice field if you want to experience glory on the football field on Friday nights. You need, to put the, you need to put the pain in now. You need to put the time in now. You need to practice hard now. If they endure the pain, they'll profit on the field on Friday nights. Well, fellow believers in Jesus Christ, let's consider this kind of our t- pep talk here. It's, it's August, and we're kind of huddling around. And this is our pep talk. Jesus said serving him will lead to earthly suffering. Serving him will lead to earthly suffering. So let's not be surprised by that. But let's embrace that. Let's understand that that's going to happen. He also said uh, that believers in him will gain eternal glory. So believers in him gain eternal glory, but serving him will will produce earthly suffering. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. We are not home yet. We live in a world that's under the influence of Satan. And against the things of God. So we're going to face some difficulty. We're going to face some hardship. And when we face that trouble, let's not get mad at God or let's not question his goodness. But let's remember, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. Our inheritance is worth the hardship. Our eternal inheritance is worth this temporary hardship. Eternal glory is greater than earthly suffering. Eternal presence and perfection is greater than our passing earthly pain. In essence, eternal glory is the greater gain. Eternal glory is the greater gain. And so when we face trouble and difficulty this week because we're following Jesus in a world full of sin, let's not quit and let's not complain. That's the easy thing to do. But let's live for the greater gain of glory. No pain, no gain. Glory is greater. So in the midst of that difficulty that we're faced for for living for Jesus Christ, always remind yourself, glory is greater. Glory is greater. No pain, no gain. The Old Testament saints suffered, our Savior suffered, and we are going to suffer but pain is the path to perfection. Glory is greater. 
And if we keep that in the proper perspective, if we're living for glory, we will endure the pain because we know the payoff, the profit is so much greater than the proof. Let's live for glory. Father, thank you for the opportunity we had to look into your word. And Lord, thank you for our great inheritance that you promised us. What a privilege to be part of your family. What a privilege to experience that, that amazing eternal inheritance that we will be glorified, we'll be made like you. We will be perfected in our bodies and free from sin and the power of sin and the presence of sin. We will sin no more and, and we'll get to rule with you and reign with you. And Lord, that's, that's just mind-blowing. But Lord, there's no profit without the proof or pain. And Lord, it's so easy for me to, when faced with difficulties for, for choosing to follow you, to, to want to give up, to want to complain, to want to uh, just quit. And Lord, in the midst of those difficulties, Lord, help me always to remember no pain, no gain. That eternal glory is greater than earthly pain. That it's worth it. It's worth it. And Lord, as your family here, Lord, you've called us to live for your glory. You've called us to choose to follow you, to, to serve you, to live for you, even in a world that's against you, because we know that there are many, many around us in this community that need to know you so they can experience that eternal glory. And Lord, so never, help us never give up and never say it's not worth it to follow you. It's not worth it to, to be a testimony for you. It's not worth it to, to live out our faith and, and be vocal about our faith and share the hope that we have with those that, uh, that we work with, that we are on a team with, that are in our neighborhood, Lord. But help us to have the perspective of there are many that need to know that don't have the inheritance that we have. And you desire your family to grow. Father, glory is greater. Help us to live in view of glory this week. In Jesus' name, amen.